JB, I first of all, I am so thankful and grateful to JB for giving me this opportunity to share with you this morning. Um, he, about three weeks ago or so, he said, this is what you're going to be talking about. You go with it, Mayor. And uh, I loved the topic, and so I began putting a lot of thoughts together. Um, we are in the Believe series, and my topic is God is a personal God. And I say amen to that. So I was very grateful to start scouring scripture and stories and things that we could talk about because in my life, my God is so personal to me. So I had it all, you know, I had my little outline, I had a lot of it put together. And then this week happened. And oh my goodness, did that add an exclamation point to my God as a personal God. But it's good. And we are going to celebrate, and we are going to give thanks, and we are going to hear from his word today just how much he loves you. He loves you. I know Pastor Bill preached on Psalm 139. Pastor Aaron preached on Psalm 121. Excellent passages. I kind of was all over the place. But I, too, ended up on Psalm 139. The title of my message is, You Are Always on My Mind. You Are Always on My Mind. And I can say that because I'm going to read from this love letter. This is a love letter to us. God doesn't just say that he loves us. He demonstrates it by the way that he thinks about us every single moment. And I don't know of any more intimate and personal passage in the Bible to illustrate that than this verse, than this passage. So, if you are able and willing, if you will please rise with me as we read through parts of Psalm 139. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all of my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, Lord. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, you are there. Even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me. Even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. 
You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in that secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me are written in your book. Before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. If I were to count them, they would outnumber the grains of the sand. And when I awake, I am still with you. These are the words of the Lord. You may be seated. This passage is a beautiful meditation of God's personal moment-by-moment involvement in our lives. So intimate is his involvement that he knows our thoughts before we utter them. His loving presence surrounds us at every moment wherever we go, wherever we go, and he was personally involved in the formation of our bodies when we were in the womb. God's knowledge of us and care for us is simply unfathomable. In this day and age, however, these verses may lead us to feel a little bit uneasy, similar to having a spy looking over your shoulder, someone hacking into your personal computer, to think that somebody is constantly watching you. It's a little unnerving, isn't it? I know just two, two weeks ago, um, my niece lost her husband to suicide in April. So we've been spending a lot of time together, and I, uh, I was looking for a journal for her, just, just the right one, and so I was scouring online for this, this journal that I had in mind, and I found it. Um, but was it tr- what was interesting to me is that for the next week, I was getting all of this stuff on my computer, and it was like saying, this computer saying, Mary's looking for a journal, Mary's looking for a journal, Mary's looking for a journal, let's send her stuff, let's send her stuff, let's send her stuff. It's uneasy. I just wanted to go in and just find my little journal and be left alone. But I am bombarded on the internet once it knows what I'm thinking. It's uneasy. But here the psalmist celebrates the presence of the living God. Oh, how marvelous is your presence and your knowledge. He knows our every step, our every breath. When the psalmist celebrates God's inescapable presence... He is truly celebrating God's infinite love. If I ascend to the heavens, I will still find your love. Derek says that today. If I sail to the end of the sea, your love will meet me there on that distant shore. If I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, your love will be with me. When I reach the last of my days and I breathe my final breath, Your love will sustain me. As our creator God, the architect of our life, he gives a clear expression of the truth when stated all of your days, they're ordained and they're written in my book. That tells us there's an ideal plan of life providentially set out, put together for every individual in this room, each of us here today. So let's break down these verses just a little bit. I'm going to focus on four different themes that come through 
in this passage. The first one you see there, the four themes are God knows you, God pursues you, God himself made you, and God has plans just for you. All of this in parentheses. He cares. He cares. God knows you. In the opening six verses of Psalm 139, there are eight different words that tell us that God knows us intimately. You have searched me. You know me. You know when I sit. You know when I rise. You understand my thoughts. You discern my going out, my travels. You know that. You know when I lie down and I rest. You're familiar with all of my ways. My good stuff and my not-so-good stuff. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. I can't comprehend this. Can any of you really comprehend this? I can't. I can't. Do you know anybody in your life that can say that about you? I know when you lie down. I know when you get up. I know where you're going. I know what you're thinking. Do you know? I mean, we all have intimate people in our lives, don't we? And I know I have a few people in my life. They know me like a book. And they can look at my face. And they could say, oh, Mary's having a good day. Mary's not having such a good day. But to know us this intimately. Each of these words conveys a different layer of God's knowledge of you. Your physical, your mental, your emotional, and your spiritual state. He knows your wellness wheel. We see that plastered all over the place these days, your wellness wheel. What is that? In fact, God knows what makes you tick and what you do. He knows precisely what you will say or do next before you even have a word on your tongue. He knows your heart, our fears, our thoughts, our motives, our dreams, our frustration. He knows your past, your present, and your future. He understands you. He notices what's going on around you, inside you, through you. He knows what you need. Next slide. God is a God of provision. One of my favorite Hebrew titles for God is Jehovah Jireh. I love this word. And it means the God who provides. The Lord will provide. This is first seen in Genesis 22, verse 14, when God provides a ram in the thicket in the story of Abraham, who's about to sacrifice his son Isaac. God knows. Scripture is saturated, absolutely saturated with stories about how God provides. Think about it. Adam and Eve messed up. God provided their clothing. We got manna because they're hungry. Let's just send some stuff from the sky. He's got a big fish for Jonah. I'm going to rescue you. And then he's got two little fish and some loaves of bread because you're hungry. He provides. He knows what you need. In fact, he has you pegged more than you do. And again, while this might sound a little bit unnerving, you can be rest assured about this. God knows all about you, and you know what? He loves you still. I just talked with somebody out in the hall, and he says, if you want me to come in and you want me to stand here, I'll be your little little, uh, demonstration. He said, I'm a mess, but God loves me, and I know that 
and I'll stand there in front of people if you want me to tell them. Slide 17, the next slide, when God says that he lays his hand upon us, he's referring to an Old Testament practice of bestowing a blessing on someone. A wise father would place his hands on his children and speak words into their lives about who they are and will be, what their place is in the family, and what their future will be. And this is called the blessing. It sure sounds like something my father would do for me, my heavenly father. And this meant so much to children, so much. It meant everything. In fact, we know the story of Jacob. He wanted that blessing, and he was going to do everything he could do to get it. It means that much. You know what he did to Esau. I don't know if you've ever laid hands on your children to bless them. I, I, it's a powerful thing. And I don't know if you've experienced somebody coming up to you and laying their hands on you and praying with you. I had it a couple times this week. The first time was Tuesday um, when I got the news about Derek. I was scheduled to preach that afternoon at Royal Park. Um, obviously very shaken. Obviously spent some time with Derek or with Dee that morning and the girls and but I went to Royal Park, and, and um, another chaplain that I work with, I told him what had happened about a half hour before I was supposed to, to go up, and he said, let's pray. And I said, oh, my goodness, yes. He laid hands on me, and we prayed. And it was a beautiful, and it was a holy time to be with my family there. And then just this morning, Linda prayed for me in the office with her hands on me. It's powerful. It's powerful. Your heavenly Father knows you, and he bestows a blessing on you, born out of love that makes you a part of his family. And what's your future? He knows what it's all about. In God's family, nobodies are non-existent. And then God pursues you. When David affirmed God's thorough knowledge of himself, he concluded in verse 6 that this is way beyond me. It's lofty. I can't reach it. I'm overwhelmed. I just, I, I, it's way out of reach. I don't get this. David's first instinct is the same as ours. Because I can't have control, total control of my life, you just ask my husband, Tim, does Mary like to control things? Just a little bit. I admit it. I admit it. He can tell you stories. I like it when things are organized and when we got a plan. But when I can't be in control of my life, how can I escape? Where can I hide? Where can I hide? If he, God, knows all that he needs to know about me, he knows that I'm a hypocrite. He knows I'm full of lies. He knows what I said about somebody last week. He knows what I thought. He knows my anger. Where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I live on the eastern horizon and settle on the western limits, even your hand will lead me. Your right hand will hold on to me. David's fear of total exposure moved him to ponder if there was some retreat geographically, where can I run? Can I find a cave? Can I run? Can I hide? Or spiritually? Where could he secret himself away? But God will not let him run away. He tracks my path, says David. 
but not to point out what's wrong or to harm me. He doesn't chase after me to like, Mary, sit down, listen to me. He doesn't do that. But rather, he comes, he tracks us to give us grace, to guide us, to be involved in our lives, to watch and protect us. That's what David is saying when he says, if I ascend to heaven, I will find your love. And if I sail to the end of the sea, your love will meet me on that distant shore. If I walk through the valley of the shadows of death, your love will be with me. And when I reach my last days and breathe my final breath, your love will sustain me. When I come to the end, God is there. That is guidance and security, not torment, not fear. You know what this means, don't you? You are wanted by God over and over and over again, even when we turn our back on him. We are called by God in Scripture, beloved, chosen, dearly loved children. Romans 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future nor any powers, neither height nor death nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the truth. That's the pursuit of God for me. Corey Tenboom knew this so well. If you've ever read any of her works, she suffered extreme hardships throughout World War II. She found herself in a literal pit many times, hiding. But she says this as God pursues her there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. When you feel the crushing weight of fear and disappointment or loneliness, if you wonder if you belong, remember this story. Mary Ann Bird writes that when she was growing up, she knew that she was different, and I hated it, she said. I hated it. I was born with a cleft palate, and when I started school, my classmates made it clear to me how I looked to others. A girl with a misshapen lip, a crooked nose, lopsided teeth, and garbled speech. And classmates asked, what happened to your lip? I'd tell them that I'd fallen, and I had cut it on a piece of glass, and I injured it. Somehow it seemed more acceptable to have suffered an accident than to have been born different. I was convinced that no one outside of my family could love me. There was, however, a teacher in the second grade whom we all adored, and her name was Mrs. Leonard. Mrs. Leonard gave the test, or she was a short and round and spunky, fun lady. We probably all have teachers like that that we can remember. And annually, she would give us a hearing test. Miss Leonard gave the test to everyone in the class, and finally, it was my turn. It was my turn. What they did was, the teacher would have someone stand by the door, kind of far away from the desk, and the teacher would say something to them in a quiet voice. I knew from these past years how that all went and how the teacher would whisper something, maybe something like, the sky is blue or isn't it a beautiful day, things like that. I waited for those words that God must have put in her mouth, those seven words that changed my life. Mrs. Leonard said in a whisper, I wish 
you were my little girl. For the first time, Mary Ann truly felt as if she mattered. This was personal, and she belonged. Last night, we were with friends of ours, um, Barb and Mike Vanderplug, and we were talking about our kids, and Barb got out her phone, and she's showing me pictures of the grandkids who she loves so much, and it was just so fun looking at them, getting caught up in everything else. And it made me think, I wonder, what is it for you that you have out and about that displays your love for your children and your grandchildren? Pictures, something on the refrigerator, something in your wallet, flipping over your phone, what is it? That is like how we can imagine God, how he loves you and me. He has all of that. He takes out his phone. He says, look it. Look at my little girl. Look at my little boy. Isn't she great? They've grown so much, and I have so much fun with them. So much fun with them. God knows you. He wants you. Then we have God made himself made you. For it is you who created my inmost parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully, remarkably made. Pay attention to those words. It was God who knit you together in your mother's womb. A picture of an intricate attention to detail, a design of a seamstress, taking one little thread at a time and weaving it through the garment of your life, including the black strings. The black strings are the tough times. It'd be nice to just have all bright colors, but we have black strings woven through our lives. Those black strings accentuate the colors in our life, and they're there for a reason. When God made you, he threw away the mold. You are totally unique, a one-of-a-kind, fashioned by the Almighty, right down to the thumbprint. I was reminded of this just last week when... Um, I had to sign into my Google account, and uh, most of the time you can just get in with your password. And but for this, for some reason, it asked me. It needed my thumbprint, needed my fingerprint, thumbprint, whatever it was. And I thought, okay, well, whatever. I'm so techy anyway. So, but I do have a thumb. I do have a thumb. I can do this. Put that right on there. And just before I did that, one line came across the screen on my phone, and it said. We need to know it's really you. We need to know it's really you. Put my thumbprint on there. Yep, it's really me. And I'm into my account. The human body is truly amazing. Back in 2008, I was reminded just how miraculous our bodies really are. Pastor Louis Giglio put together a series of videos called the Passion Series. Maybe you've seen these. If you haven't, I recommend them highly. In this particular talk entitled, How Great is Our God, Louis goes on to share about how each individual's DNA is designed to carry a small protein adhesion molecule called laminin. It is the superglue within our bodies that keeps everything together. Without it, our skin would fall off the bones. Our muscles would fall away. Our cells would just kind of float around without anything, just kind of rhyme, no rhyme or reason. Well, that was pretty amazing when he was talking about it and hearing about it. What took my breath away was when he showed a picture of it. Under a microscope, 
This molecule has a shape and the appearance of a cross. Coincidence? <laughs> Not a chance. Not a chance. This is personal. Is it any mistake that it looks like the cross, the cross of our Creator? Can it be that when the Bible says we are held together through Jesus, that he literally means it? Jesus advocates for us on his behalf, and he holds us together. Colossians 1, verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Christ literally holds us together physically as well as spiritually. God the designer created our bodies in such an intricate way it's almost impossible to comprehend. Now do you see what David's talking about in this verse, in this passage? And if you don't like what you see in the mirror, you have been taking your cues from this carnal world, from the enemy, rather than your heavenly papa the incredible artisan who made you for himself. There is no one in history like you. He gave you a personality, innate abilities, spiritual gifts, and a particular purpose that sets you apart for him. You are his treasured creation, made in his likeness. God knows you, he wants you, he made you. Finally, he has plans just for you. Verses 16 through 18, all your days were written for me in your book and planned before a single one of them came to be. God, how difficult your thoughts are me for me to comprehend, David says. How vast the sum of it. David says that the script of your life was already written by God and the Lord has carefully mapped out every single detail that will fill your days, ordaining that will and will not happen. The Hebrew word the Holy Spirit has David use here indicates that God has created each of you, your life, tailoring circumstances, establishing boundaries, and fashioning opportunities for his glory and for his good. I've experienced a change of plans many times in my life, many times. Some plans are welcome, some plans definitely not. I remember, too, how often I would pray while planning for mission trips. I would actually pray to God and say, God, if it be your will, maybe don't make everything work out so perfect. I know we're planning, and I know you've given me gifts to organize these trips, but maybe not everything. And you know what? He did it every single mission trip, every single one. I don't want the planning to come to me. I want the planning to go to God. I want it to go to him. I wanted the teams to see God move. Mary, step aside and let them see me move. Mika's lunch is a result of God's plan totally different than what we had in mind. And if we wouldn't have submitted to that change in plans, many kids and the Dominican Republic would not be receiving a meal as we speak. Could it be, could it be that your plan B, my plan B, may very well have been God's plan A 
in the first place? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Our greater church family, in particular the Staw family, was just reminded of that this week as we grieve the sudden passing of Derek. But we can find comfort in verse 16 with the truth that says, yes, all of our days are written in his book and planned perfectly. While we don't understand, we don't understand. We just don't. And while we may get angry, times we find it, it's just, I, we just can't accept this. And especially in times of sorrow, we know as Christians that God's timing is always perfect. And we grieve as a people with hope, knowing that a wonderful reunion awaits those who embrace this personal love of God. The passage is a wonderful reminder that God does not abandon us. God doesn't just set our life's plan in motion and then look the other way. His thoughts are on us constantly. God does not leave us in the darkness. He does not forsake us. And I want to affirm you this promise today that as real as grief is, and it's raw, it is so raw, as painful as it is, and as difficult and as tender as these times are, there's hope. This is not a hope which ignores the pain. It's not a hope that says you have to put a smile on your face, like everything's just fine, because it's not. It's not a hope which forces you to pretend that you're sad because you are. It's a hope that sustains us even in our darkest times. The God who searched you and knows you, who knows when you sit down and when you rise up, who's acquainted with all of your ways, is that very God who comes alongside you in the seasons of pain and loss. In fact, it is where God often meets us. Dear friends, the love of God stretches beyond all human boundaries. God's love is so great that in his love, God created the cosmos out of nothing and he called it forth to exist. God's love reaches so far that God breathed life into human beings, forming us, you and I, in his image. God's love is so inescapable that as response to our sin, my sin was to seek me out, to seek us out again and again, even when we ignored him over and over. God's love is so real that he took on human flesh in the Son, Jesus Christ. God's love is so great that in love, God even crossed over from life to death for our sake. God's love is so powerful that in Jesus Christ, God's love shattered the chains of sin and death and led the way to our future hope. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me and too lofty to attain. In conclusion, Willie Nelson had a song years ago. We all know it, sing it a lot, been around the planet a few times. You were always on my mind. You were always on my mind. And for some reason, that, that phrase, that little chorus, kept coming back to me over the last couple weeks as I pondered this passage. And so I changed it up just a little bit, one little word. I hope I don't get in trouble. You are always on my mind. He greets you each morning with fresh mercy and new opportunities, ready to go through the hours with you. He loves your company. I imagine him sitting on the end of my bed as I begin to stir. And it takes me a while to wake up, by the way. 
And I lay there, and I imagine him just sitting there, just watching me and waiting for me to get up. And he has specific plans for me that day, and he says, I'm so glad you're my child. Take my hand. Let's run this race together. I want to leave you with a beautiful image of God's personal love for you. Deuteronomy 33, verse 12 says, Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rests between his shoulders. Let me say that again. Deuteronomy 33, 12. Let the beloved of the Lord rest secure in him, for he shields him all day long, and the one the Lord loves rest between his shoulders. When you see this picture, what do you see? Do you see weakness or do you see strength? This is Tim, my husband, and our grandson Jackson. Two summers ago, we had just taken a, a two-mile hike out to the Big Sabo Lighthouse in Ludington. We spent a lot of time up there in the summer. The air was warm, the sand was hot, very hot, and the winds blew. So it was, it was, kind, of a rough, it was kind of a rough walk, actually. It was a trek, especially for our little ones, we call our little people. On the way back, you would think that the kids would have been complaining that everyone, both of them, it was me and Jackson, they were both champs, both champs. And then Jackson finally said, Papa, I'm really tired. Could you carry me for just a little bit? Tim said, I got you, buddy. I got you, buddy. And once on Papa's shoulders, the weariness of the journey melted away, enough for him to calmly fall asleep. Asking to climb on his Papa's shoulders was not a sign of weakness from little Jackson, but rather just the opposite. It's an act of strength because he was aware of who to turn to when he just couldn't go on anymore. Though the challenges of this earthly life never completely vanish, the sand will still be hot, the winds are going to blow, and our loving and protective Heavenly Papa does promise to carry us, to give us rest, to shield us, and to take the burdens off our shoulders and place them on his. Why? Because it's personal. It's personal. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, as your child, I recommit my life to you each and every day. Birth in me ideas and dreams that come from your heart. Help me to accomplish your will in my life. And help me to be a light to those who you place in my path each and every day. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for pursuing me. 
and for being with me every single step of the way. Amen. Amen.